Well, friends, let's pray as we hear God's word this morning. And after we pray, we'll get into Mark chapter 1 to take a look at the baptism of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us. Make us holy. That is to say, make us pure and clean and, and forgiven on the inside, just as you see us on the outside, and make our lives good and acceptable and pleasing to you, and God willing then to our friends and neighbors and to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to start off today and ask you, what is your least favorite job? And what's been your most favorite job? If you're following along in our service folder, you'll see there's little blanks there under the sermon for that. What's your least favorite job? What's your most favorite job? Write those down now. Like everybody, uh, I've had my own share of least favorite, most favorite jobs. I won't share my my most favorite job. I realized the other week uh, just how much I like the current job that I have. You know, it was, I think it was Sunday night. I was sitting in bed talking with my wife a little bit before we went to bed, and I I said something to myself about how weird this was. You know, I was sad that I didn't get to be at at church. And I said, I, you know, I want to be there. I want to be there to preach to 100, 150 people and 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 be together. That's what I just, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to celebrate the word. I, I that's where I want to be. Uh, and I was reminded of that uh, when I was thinking about my son this last week, because we, I think Tom mentioned this even last week, and we went and visited my parents uh, Tuesday into Wednesday. It snowed. My son was really pumped to get outside and to shovel the snow. And so he asked Grandpa, he says, you know, Grandpa, what time are you going to get up and, and go shovel? And Grandpa says something like, oh, I think I'll get up at 4.30 in the morning. My son says, oh, yeah, wake me up too at 4.30 in the morning. I want to come shovel with you. Uh, and and we all said, no, you can't get up that early. You know, you got to sleep. But Grandpa says, well, yeah, I'll wake him up. And thankfully, Grandpa waited a little while. But Six o'clock or so rolled around and Josiah was outside with Grandpa shoveling the snow. Uh, they shoveled for a couple hours and by uh, then they came in for food and then they went back outside after breakfast and shoveled for a couple more hours. And mind you, Grandpa has a, a small city lot. So they ended up shoveling half the neighborhood or something like that before 11 o'clock. Uh, he just, he was super excited to shovel. Friday it snowed a little bit more and he says, Grandpa, what time are you going to wake me up the next morning, uh, Saturday morning? You know, oh yeah, we'll get up 4.30 again. Thankfully it wasn't 4.30, but still, he, that kid was so excited to shovel. Uh my dad said, I've never seen somebody so excited to shovel snow. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you've been that pumped, that passionate about a, a job that you've had. I'm not sure. I know some of us have, and some of us feel that excited about our work. I remember talking with, with one of you, and you were just, uh, we were going through a Bible study and talking about all the different things that uh, a good job was. And somebody said, that's my job. That's how I feel about my job. Oh, that's really neat. Uh, one of my favorite examples is a man named Eric Little. Eric Little uh, was that runner in Chariots of Fire. And he said, God made me fast. And when I run, I, I feel God's pleasure. There was a guy who was passionate and excited about the work that he had. And of course, he got to run. So that was probably made it better. But, but he definitely loved his job. Today, we are, are taking a look at Jesus. At this time, uh, right as he begins his public ministry, right as he begins his work. You know, the, the Bible story of Jesus is a little bit odd compared to 
most of the ancient biographies of people and our, our, our own stories. Uh, Jesus, we hear how he was born. And then all of a sudden, the next thing we hear is Jesus is starting his job, his professional public ministry, his work. And what, what happened to everything else, all of his childhood and his teenage years and his college years? We don't know. But we do get to see Jesus start his work, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, and this is definitely a unique uh, event in his life, and it's a unique event for us. Because this event, whatever happens here, it drives him to do some very challenging things. He, he turns right around afterwards, and he faces uh, a testing from the devil. Uh, and somehow, he, this, is, this event drives him to do one of the most difficult things that anybody would ever have to do. He says, look, you can have the same passion, the same pleasure, the same excitement for your work if you hear me today. So let's hear God today and, and see that passion, that power that can come for our work as well. Now, as I said, this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's the beginning of his work. And after this, there's going to be a couple of events that confirm Jesus as a public worker. He's going to be tempted. Uh, that's that's something like the first on-the-job test. You know, Everybody has that on-the-job test. Do you have the abilities? Do you have the skills to do this work. Uh, and then after that, he will call his first disciples. And those will confirm that, yes, he really is a public teacher. He's a, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. You see, he's got these disciples. Uh, so he is going to begin his work. Now, admittedly, right, he does a very different work than what, than what most of us do. He, he comes in a long line of Jewish religious teachers and, and priests. He follows after people like Moses. Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, and to some extent, you know, then all, a lot of other priests, including Zechariah, uh, the father of John, all kinds of people. Now, I know that that kind of preaching and teaching and training, you know, it doesn't seem like work for a lot of people. But did you see how many of the experiences that Jesus has? Uh, he has the same kind of frustrations a farmer or a truck driver or a, a mechanic would experience. He does the same kind of, of, of experiences. For example, he, he's tempted. He endures temptation. Uh, and, and he sees, you know, work is a frustrating, challenging toil all the time. There are always temptations in front of you trying to take you away from the task uh, that it will, that you should be going about. Uh, he, he will call his own disciples, followers, and yet one of those followers will be a, uh, will betray him. And, and amongst those followers, many of them will be, what? Uh, well, James and John, the sons of thunder, they'll be a little bit crazy. Peter is always going to be threatening to cut off people's ears. You know, they're not exactly the fruit that you expect or that you want a good, honest religious teacher to have. So they, he, will, uh, he will experience the same kind of uh, fruitlessness in his work that most, many of us will, will find. Uh, and, and then finally, Jesus will, will die. Like you and me, he will die and work can become pointless as well. You know, Jesus experiences the same sorts of frustrations that we experience in our work. Three things I, I like to describe them as. That work is frustrating and challenging. That work is fruitless. And work can become pointless. These three God has, has told us about ever since the beginning of creation, since the fall into sin. These things have been part of the world. And, and even Jesus experiences them. Even Jesus has them in his, in his work. That doesn't mean that he ever gets out of work. 
He works just like you and me. He never worships work. He, he realizes it for what it is. It was the Protestant work ethic of our time that worshiped work. It was people like Henry Ford who said work is the salvation of the human race. It was people like President Coolidge who said that the man who builds a factory builds a temple and the, the person who works there worships there. It was us who, who turned work into worship. No, Jesus didn't do that. But Jesus still saw that work was often bad. Work was often hard. It's we who mess work up. But Jesus doesn't. And he still doesn't avoid work either. That's the first thing that we want to take away today. That, that everyone works. Jesus himself works. The Son of God works. Even if work is bad. That's what God put into the garden at the very beginning. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. From the beginning, we've been given work to do. And even Jesus comes to work. Now, if work is bad, how do we fix it? How do we, how do we fix it to maybe make it better or at least help it get right? Work can be frustrating. Work can be fruitless. Work can even become Pointless. How do we fix it? Well, one of the things that that some people will suggest, right? One of the things that that work uh, that people will offer is when work is hard, when we feel like we're getting nothing done. You know, people will say something to you like, "Well, look, do you really want to quit? I mean, is that the the mark that you want to leave behind? Is that the legacy that you want to leave behind? Um, you know, and, and I think is that." Is that the way we want to motivate people? Um, we want to tell them, do you really want to tell somebody who's feeling like their work is, is fruitless and pointless and hard? You really want to motivate them by trying to say to them, look at the legacy that you could have. Uh, think about that. That doesn't work. That doesn't, that doesn't help people. I've been there where I felt like my work is hard and it's pointless and it's fruitless. And I really don't just feel that way. I look at that way. I'm not getting anything done. I'm not accomplishing anything. And anybody who said to me, is this the legacy that you want to leave? I would have stomped. I stomped away from them. I didn't want to hear that. What about when you feel like you're so tired that you can't, you just can't even uh, work anymore. You're frustrated. And then somebody will inevitably say, well, just push on. Just keep going. This is the right thing to do. Uh, you know, maybe even better, you want to uh, just go to show up at work for the daytime and then come work at church because church work, you know, is where it's, where it's really at. This is fulfilling. This is satisfying work. And again, there's a little bit of, of value in that. And yet, we are, are made for, for work. Uh, is it really going to help somebody to tell them the right thing to do is to just press on? I already feel like my work is is empty. It's hard. It's way harder than it should be. I'm too tired for it. Is telling me to keep pressing on, to keep working, going to make me feel less tired? No. No. And in fact, we've messed up way too many times telling people, hey, the best work to do is, is, is church work. You need to just keep working at the, the secular job or whatever you've got, and, and somehow hoping that people will feel committed to their job. 
Dorothy Sayers, that uh, that woman who lived in the early 1900s and and was a friend of C.S. Lewis and others, you know, she wrote that the the church, the church's approach to a carpenter is usually to confined to exhorting him to be a good person during the week and to to come to church on Sundays. And really what we need to be doing is telling him that the first demand his faith makes on him is to do a good job at his work, to make good tables. See, we often fix work in all the wrong ways. Jesus, he fixes work in the right way. What does Jesus hear in these words then that will really change work? Let me show you. God comes to Jesus and he says to him, you are my son whom I love. That's the the bottom line of the baptism of Jesus. You are my son whom I love. God puts this claim, this call, this expectation, and this declaration on Jesus. These words, you are my son whom I love, uh, they, they ask him to be somebody in particular. That's a really neat thing in this world. Jesus himself gets asked to be somebody particular in this in, in life. You know, I, I think about what that could mean, what that could look like. Every time I think about um, kids' toys, special kids' toys. For me, it was a, a duck. I had a, a toy duck as a child. I called it my dot. Now, I got this duck before I was one year old. I loved it so much. I loved it so much that I wore it to pieces. And the funny part was when I was about two or so, then I uh, I got a new duck. Somebody tried to give me a new duck because I was wearing it apart. The problem is, is I didn't want that duck. And, and, and the duck, the new duck is pristine to this day. I think it's sitting in my kid's closet someplace. It hasn't been touched hardly at all. It's because I had said to that first duck, you are my duck. You're my dot. You're the dot that I love. You're the dot that I want more than anything. I did not want any other dot. No other dot could do the job of dot. Dot was the one and only for me. And I was only going to accept dot for me. My claim, my affirmation on dot made him dot. I refused to ask any other dot to be my dot. And I know that sounds ridiculous, right? It is ridiculous. But that's, that's the funny part about it. There was nothing wrong with the other duck in and of itself. It was a perfectly fine duck. It was my claim on the duck that made my duck my duck. Now, wait a second, you say. Does that happen with the things of God? Is that, is that how God acts with us? Does God place a call and a claim and an expectation, a declaration, whatever you want to call it on us, so that, that a person hears that as, as good news and, and that changes their work and their life? I don't know if you know the story of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Excuse me, I have a little itch there. I've been looking into it a little bit. He's a famous writer who died about 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago. He was one of the most famous critics, well, he still is, one of the most famous critics of communism uh, through his writing. He didn't start out that way, though. He actually said that he drifted into literature. He didn't, you know, forcefully or by choice of decision uh, become a writer. He drifted into literature unthinkingly. And he hates to think of what sort of writer he would have become. Then he experienced this time in the gulag, the the, uh, communist camps. And and, uh, he experienced a miraculous cure from cancer. He went through a conversion to faith in Jesus uh, through uh, through actually a a Jewish man. And then finally he he felt a deepening burden 
to put the dying wish of the millions before the world. And that gave him, he says, an immense sense of calling, an immense sense of a claim and an expectation, a demand that fell on his life. So then even at the age of 55, when you would think, you know, he was kind of starting to wrap up his life, especially if he endured a a Russian camp, even at the age of 55, he still had 20 years left of, of work. And he said, the one thing worrying me was not that I... I did a bad job or that I would quit. But the one thing worrying me, he says, was that I might not be given time to carry out the whole scheme. I felt as though I was about to fill a space in the world that was meant for me. He was going to fill a space meant for him. Friend, you know what the gospel says? The gospel is is substitution. It's Jesus in my place. Jesus was the son that you and I were not. We had never showed up on the scene. We had never lived according to the things that God wanted us to do. We had never accomplished all the work that was ours rightly to do. And I don't just mean you and me, I mean all of humanity. Jesus came to be the son that we are not, to to be the one in our place. And he took that place for you in in baptism, in his baptism, right? He he wants to be the son that, that you and I are supposed to be. Won't you let him be that son? Won't you let him take that place also for for you? And you will find a, a space that he's made. That's meant for you. I have that slight flash of an experience every time I have to, to bathe my kid, my, my little son, Alexander. I've been bathing him a little bit uh, off and on recently. And, uh, you know, he hates baths like all babies. Right. And, and he screams his head off. And every time I bathe him, I think, man, I would love to just take your place. I want to go. I want to go stand in that bath. And I say, you know, Jesus, he was that son. He carved out that space for you and for me so that we can walk after him. And as you gain the sense that that he has made that space for you, you can walk after him with your work. Man, you're hearing God's call and you'll get to work. I want to give you at least four ways, real quickly as we close here, four ways that hearing God's call will we'll help you in your work. We'll help you get to work. And we're going to break some of these down over the coming weeks as we see the work of Jesus and God's work through Jesus in these, in these Sundays. So here's, here's four ways that God's call uh, will give you the, the weight or the substance or the strength within yourself so that work doesn't destroy you. God's call will give you a sense of the dignity and, and the worth of even simple work without which work could bore you to death. God's call will give you a moral and an ethical compass, without which work will corrupt you. And God's call will shape your work. God's call for you and I is profound, and it it creates that space that you and I can, can walk into, can follow into, 
and say, Jesus was the perfect son. So that I, you and I can be little sons and daughters of him, of the great king, and do whatever little work he's put before us. Friends, hear God's call and get to work. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it's, it's hard to see the work in front of us as a calling from you as a claim and an expectation and demand on our lives. Work is fruitless. It's pointless. It's frustrating. Sometimes we feel it's just that way and it's not. Sometimes it just is. Lord, forgive us for blaming you for this bad work or, or just ignoring you even in our work. And rather, let us see that your son has gone before us to create a space to create a call and expectation and a demand that can fall on our lives so that we can walk after you. We pray that we would hear this call and get to work. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's join together now and confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. <clears throat> 